for the uh, reading of God's Word. We are going to be reading Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, if you'd like to follow along. Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, feeling the, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so even Bar- Barnabas was led astray by their hypocr- hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Please be seated. Thank you, Chris, uh, for reading scripture this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Galatians 2. uh, And as well, you can place a bookmark or... Uh, something, a piece of paper or something over in Romans chapter 3. Uh, we'll be there in a little while. Roman, Romans chapter 3 uh, and Galatians chapter 2. It's amazing how fast we are walking through books of the Bible. Uh, maybe I should slow down. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we're only doing two verses today, so that works. Galatians chapter 2. You ever heard, ever had the phrase given to you, tell me a little bit about yourself? Or you know, maybe it's at a party or a job interview. Maybe you're on a date. Uh, maybe you're sitting on an airplane, right? You got to spend hours with someone and they use the phrase, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I remember at, at, at college, um, when Cheyenne and I first met and we started dating, uh, we would go to soccer games because that was one of the places that you could go in a mixed group and actually spend time together. Um, I won't get into that. But we, uh, we would go to soccer games, uh, the collegiate soccer games, but we'd actually never watch the game. We, <laughs> who won? I don't know. We just sat and talked, and it became like this getting to know one another. And uh, if I think correctly, I think that's when she said she really started to get to know me and actually started to like me because, you know, I just poured it on real thick, you know. No, it was tell me about yourself. Who are you? How do you respond to that statement? What, what, what phrases, and and I say a little bit about yourself, like what would constitute a good summary about who you are? I am so-and-so's son, or I am a teacher. Uh, or maybe saying something like, uh, I have four boys. That kind of stirs conversations up. Oh, wow, four boys. Your wife is special. Uh, I am left-handed. Mm, I, you know, I like football. I'm not really an animal person. Or maybe I played sports. 
I graduated from a Christian college. Up here, I think it's important for me to say I'm originally from the South. I, I don't know. I love to travel. You know, like, what constitutes a good summary? How do you best describe yourself to someone else? Or what statements would you consider core statements about who you are? Maybe uh, statements that would define you to someone else. Maybe a statement like, I'm a Christian. Or, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, I'm a child of God. See, Paul has begun his letter here to Galatians, to the Galatian people, and he's been really, in essence, describing who he is and defending his, his apostleship, as we've studied. Uh, he feels very strongly, hey, I have to defend my message. I've got to defend the gospel that I'm, I'm speaking, that I'm preaching. Why? Because the... As we study, the people of Galatia have, have fallen prey to the Judaizers, the, this group of people who are teaching that, hey, Paul, your gospel's not enough. You have to do something. You have to be ceremonially a, ceremonially a Jew in order to be completely saved. And so as we saw in the first chapter and so far in the second, we keep seeing uh, glimpses or little statements about this idea of the gospel. He keeps mentioning the gospel and he coincidentally hasn't really described what he means by it, unless you dig deeper. He's simply just defending it and saying that my gospel is the true gospel. And other apostles confirm it. Uh, I've been doing it for 14 years, as we saw in verse 1 of this chapter. But we haven't really heard exactly, if you will, what that gospel was. Now, we have described it in the messages because we have the complete story. But in the letter, he hasn't really unpacked it. Well, this morning, we get to what I call the heart of the matter, the heart of, of his gospel, the heart of the letter to Galatians. Uh, he, he writes some very pointed words about both what he believed and what he preached. And it's the one that he seeks to live out in his life. And so today we want to take some time looking at that gospel. And we see it in verses 15 uh, and 16. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that today, Lord, we would open our hearts, open uh, our eyes to understand the, the words. God, we thank you for the fact of the matter is that we don't work our way to you, but that you came to us, that you've given us a beautiful, beautiful relationship, that you have given us freedom in Christ. Lord, we thank you, and I pray that you would encourage us today to not seek works of the law, Lord, but that we would know that we are justified by faith. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So uh, as we get back into our bearings here of Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul has finished, back in verse 14, if you will, his autobiographical section uh, about his message, the events, and we talked about it in the first part of chapter 2, where he, he goes to Jerusalem and he confirms his message with the apostles, with Peter and James and others. Well, then last week, we looked at verses 11 through 14, and, and we studied this, this event that Paul needed to address about the truth of the gospel. Okay, so and we just read it again today because I'm going to tie this together uh, that Paul 
uh, in 11 through 14, that Paul's up in Antioch. Antioch is this, this Christian center. Uh, the mission, his kind of his missions outpost, his missionary journeys. He would often go through. Uh, he would go through Antioch, and and Antioch was a church that was there that had a large number of Gentile believers, people who were not Jews. And so the story of 11 through 14 is they're up there fellowshipping. Peter's up there fellowshipping. They're all enjoying time together. And then this problem kind of broke out. Uh, people, uh, the, uh, the, the words describe the Jewish part, the circumcision party, which, by the way, is a party I never want to go to. <laughs> the, this, 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 this circumcision group comes to, to Antioch, and Peter makes, well, it makes a bad choice. He, he starts, he notices them and he fears them, so he starts separating himself, if you will, from those Gentiles. He begins to act differently. And so as we looked last week, uh, that Paul actually calls him out on that. He's like, why are you doing this? Why are you, uh, even though you're a Jew, verse 14, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And as we studied it last week, we kind of got this idea that, hey, you can't divorce your actions from your beliefs. You, if you call yourself Christian, then you're not only preaching it by what you say, but you preach it by what you do, how you live. The whole idea of this whole message, this whole story of Galatians is gospel-rooted living. And so Paul calls Peter out on it. He says, hey, Peter, listen, I know you don't believe this. I know that you believe that the Gentiles are just as much saved. But the way that you're living is you're preaching a gospel that's different to how you act or how, what you say. You've chosen to live, and we saw the word last week, hypocritically. And that, that Peter's actions were extremely challenging because if we, as sinners, are accepted by God, then, then how can we not accept others? If, if we, ask, we ask them to become like us, and then we will accept them. One commentator I was reading, John Stott, he says it like this. If God does not require this work of the law called circumcision before he accepts them, how dare we impose a condition upon them which he does not impose? If God has accepted them, how can we reject them? If he receives them into his fellowship, shall we deny them ours? He has reconciled them to himself. How can we withdraw from those whom God has reconciled? So the question comes then, why does God accept you? Like, what are the conditions of your acceptance? Is it because you're American? Or is it because you're middle class? Or because you're white? Or because you're a Republican? Like, how is it that you believe you are justified in God's sight? And that's the heart of the matter. And if you're saying my acceptance is not based on works, but on the simple fact that I believe what Christ did for me on the cross, and I'm not accepted because I'm white or rich or whatever, and then I go out and I refuse to have fellowship with others who are not like me, that's saying something huge about the gospel in your life. 
Because what you're doing is you're tearing down with your hands what you preach with your lips. And in the same sense, you're becoming like Peter, hypocrites. Because you live a life. You live a life that's different from everyone else. Your life and your job, you're connected to people that others are not connected to. And so I say that you may be the only gospel that someone ever hears. You ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words? You ever heard that before? I'm not saying that completely because you must use words, okay? Like, uh, faith comes by hearing the word of God, okay? Uh, But what I am saying is, hey, is your life, make sure your life is not nullifying your message. Because your behavior can nullify the gospel, Your marriage could nullify the gospel. Your parenting can nullify the gospel in your children. Your Facebook posts can nullify the gospel. And just like Peter, we say something with our lives that is not true. And we know it to not be true. And Paul's saying, don't do that. It's not simply what you believe, but it's how you behave. It's how you respond. Don't tear down the gospel with your behavior. Well, but pastor, it really only matters what's in my heart. And I say, no, it doesn't. Because your life every day is teaching something to someone else about the gospel. And I believe, and I believe that this is why so many people outside of the realm of Christianity who look into Christianity, that they would say, I don't want to be a part of that. Because you say you believe, but you act a different way. There's a word for that, right? People outside of Christianity use that word all the time. And it's coincidentally... Not coincidentally. It's exactly what Paul uses in in the verses 11 through 14. It's hypocrisy. That Paul knows, Peter, you don't truly believe this, but your fear is causing you to act this way. And so he reminds him and he reminds us what the gospel truly is. And so here in verse 15 and 16, he's going to define it. And he uses a word that is important. It's kind of a big word, but I I believe it's an important word. I mean, we may not use it very much, but it's 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 good for us to learn big words. You know, Starbucks has taught us big words. Starbucks taught us what a macchiato was. And some of you love macchiatos and you probably still don't know what it is. It's coffee, but it's not, you know, or or we learned what a frappuccino was, right? I, I don't know what that is. It's a milkshake with coffee in it, I guess. Now we use words like venti. What does that mean? So it's, it's, it's good for us to learn words. And this is a word that maybe we need to spend some time studying together. Because Paul uses it, and he uses it, and, it, and it's, it's vital. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther says this about that word. He says, it defines who is a Christian or a non-Christian. Like, that's pretty heavy. He goes on, Martin Luther says, if we lose this doctrine, we lose all Christian doctrine. 
And it's that one word that helps us unpack the the book of Galatians. It helps us unpack Paul's gospel. And it's the word that if you don't understand it, you don't understand Christianity. And it's the word justification. It's the Greek word, dikaiou. Justification. And I would say justification by faith. Because if you take that away, you lose everything. And so Paul is eager. He wants to make sure the Galatians, he wants to make sure us as, as readers, he wants to make sure Peter doesn't miss this. That there's no other way other than justification by faith. And he's saying, hey, Peter, if you continue down that road, if you continue down that road, Galatians, if you continue to get down that road, Gages Lake Bible Church, there's no hope because it all falls apart. There's no other way to be justified before God. So, as we start here in verse 15, the first thing I wanted to ask is, who needs to know this? Who needs to know this? Who is Paul speaking to? You notice, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. When I look at verses 15 and 16, my first question I want to ask you is, is who is Paul talking to? The Galatians? Well, yeah, it's the letter to Galatians. But I would say that he's still talking to Peter. Now, if you have a modern translation, you probably have the end of verse 14 in quotation marks. Right? You kind of see that? Where he says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Question mark, quotation marks. Then there's like a separate heading. The ESV has a new paragraph, and it has a new heading there that says justified by faith. The previous one had Paul opposes Peter. However, there's something that we need to remember when we read our Bible. When we read our Bible, that these verse numbers, these paragraph divisions, the chapter divisions, all of them are added after. They were added much later. Some up to 900 years later are they adding these numbers and divisions. Because Paul doesn't write in chapters. He's not like, okay, chapter 2. No, he just writes a letter. Like he's writing a letter to the Galatians. And so I would argue that Paul is still, in a way, talking to Peter. Let me show you. Watch what happens. Look at verse 14 again. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, whose conduct? Peter, Barnabas, and the others. I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. See how it kind of flows? The conversation, I believe, that Paul is still addressing Peter in this sense. And what he says, first of all, is how he mentions that we're different. For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He tells Peter, hey, let let me remind you how we're different from those people. Now, some of your translations, and I, I like it, uh, they, they put sinner in quotation marks. Does anybody have a ver- translation like that? Sinners in quotation marks. Because when, uh, I, I think that Paul, he, he's saying to Peter, hey, he, he's not calling the Gentile sinners and them not, okay? I, I look at it that he's saying we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Because he's kind of quoting that circumcision party, remember? The ones who said that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. They were really the sinners. 
And he's quoting their view on how they felt about the Gentiles. Because that's the whole problem with this. That's the reason Peter's separating himself from this. Those are sinners. They're not like us. We have to do something else in order to get them saved because we are Jews. So perhaps Paul is being a little sarcastic here. Or if not, maybe he's saying, hey, yes, Peter, we are different than them. We ourselves are Jews by birth. And they're not. Yeah, we grew up under the law. We were law keepers. They grew up being law breakers, not by any fault of their own. That's just how it was. But if you notice, that's not the end of the phrase. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know. See, Paul is saying, Peter, you know that's not the end of the story. Because your background is not how you are saved. Remember what Paul says over in Philippians, where he describes his background? Philippians chapter 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. See, because I am circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, listen, I'm a Pharisee. As to having zeal, oh man, I'm, I'm passionate about serving God because I persecuted that church. The church that followed Jesus, not, not God. And as to righteousness under the law, notice what he says. As to righteousness under the law, like, like if you want to compare the works of the law and you want to see my actions to that, I am blameless. And I would say if anyone had achieved justification through works, it would have been Paul. I mean, look at that. But that's not the end of the story. See, here in Galatians, he says, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Yeah, Paul and Peter, you're both Jews. James, you're a Jew. These Gentile believers, they're not. I'm white, you're black. I'm a man, you're a woman. I'm rich, you're poor. Yeah, there's differences. But that's not what matters. Because look at what he says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, that's a great contrast here. Yeah, yet we know that those things don't save you. Our ethnicity didn't save us. Our gender doesn't save us. Our economic or our social status doesn't save us. They don't save us because nothing that we do can. You know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. See, and I think he, he goes a little further. I think he's trying to make sure that, that we understand that whether you have grown up in church or whether you have never set foot in a church until now, that it doesn't matter. You're saved the same way. And see, when I was reading this, it, it really started striking at me because I've often struggled with, with my salvation testimony I grew up in a Christian home. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> I grew up in a Christian home, okay? I've been in church services pretty much since I was born. Uh, there's not been a time in my life where church 
uh, wasn't part of my life. I grew up, my dad became a pastor when I was eight, and, and, and I attended a Christian school, Christian elementary school, Christian middle and Christian high school. I attended a Christian college. Even when I went to a state university in between, I was still very much involved in church. Church has always been a part of me. And, and, and when I, do you know when I became a Christian? Like very early, I would say around five. That, that, that's kind of my story is growing up in a Christian home. But maybe your story is different. Maybe your story is about how you live 20, 30, 40 years without Christ at all. And, and you live like the people of the world. Or, or you never once entered church. Or you thought the idea of church was stupid. And maybe you came to Christ as a 35-year-old or older. But do you know that we're both the same? But we're different. But we're the same. See, we both came to Christ the exact same way. Not by works, but through faith. Oh, sure, if it's based on works, then I have the advantage. I grew up in church. I was baptized. All these things. But listen, that doesn't matter. A person can live their entire life in church and die without God and go to hell. Because justification by works doesn't save you. So I read this. And see, I often struggled with that because I felt like that my testimony is boring. I, I, I don't have this big life change. And I don't have people who knew me before and know me now and say, whoa, you should have known the difference. I mean, literally, how much sin can a five-year-old get, in, get into? I was five. Now, I have a five-year-old, and he gets into a lot of trouble. But, but really. But as I read this and as I studied it, it just hit me. My testimony my testimony is not just the story of how I became a Christian. My testimony is that the Lord Jesus saved me. And it doesn't matter who I am or who I was. The only way that I'm a part of salvation is because I have justification by faith. That it's his blood on a cross and him dying in my place. That's what matters. That's what my testimony is. And that's why the testimony of every single person who's saved is the same. If you're truly saved. Because see, Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, sure, work your way all you want to. You're not going to make it to the Father. So Paul says, we know a person is not justified by who they are, by their works, but it's in faith. And he mentions this word justification several times here. And if you notice, it says something similar over and over again. Look at verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see how he says that same phrase three times? We kind of talked about this in Sunday school. If something is said over and over again, then it's important, right? He keeps saying justification or justified. And we saw that word, uh, we heard that word a moment ago, the Greek word dikaio. Oh, oh, sure, okay. 
That word is a legal term. Okay? It was used in a court setting. It literally means to declare righteous. The judge strikes the gavel and declares the sinner to be righteous. And that is amazing. Now listen, and it's important the way we say this. It is not saying, I declare you innocent. It's not a matter of, well, we don't know if he's guilty or not. The jury is out. No, the verdict is in. You're guilty. Every single person. You are a sinner. And God strikes the gavel. Bam. You are now righteous. But see, it's, that's, he's not just bringing us back up to zero and saying, okay, your bad is gone. You're now neutral. No. He's saying, I'm declaring you righteous. I'm declaring you, for lack of a better word, good. You're a sinner. But justification by faith, I'm declaring you to be righteous. I'm giving you the righteousness of Christ and all of the the benefits that come with that. He's declaring to us something that we know is not true. Because I know I'm not. And I would say, when you study the scriptures, when you study them from beginning to end, that, that there are really two things that are taught very, very clearly in scripture over and over again. And they are this. First of all, number one, that God is holy. God is separate. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is everything. Uh, he is holy. And then the second thing that's taught over and over again is that you and I are not. This explains The entire human predicament. What's wrong with me and God? Why is there friction? Why is the world in a mess? Because God is holy and I am not. The world lives its life as though God doesn't exist. And so scripture comes along and it says, hey, this is how you can be righteous. How does God justify sinners? What does he do? It says faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in other places that if a judge lets guilty people go free, if he just lets them go free, that he's not a good judge. As a matter of fact, the scriptures call him an abomination. So how does God then, I mean, he's not an abomination. Is he a bad judge? Like, how does he let guilty people? Because, listen, we know we're not innocent. How does he let guilty people go free? Well, let me tell you how humans answer that question. The way we try to bridge that gap, God is holy, I'm not is we come up with this idea of of a rating system. So obviously what God wants for me is to to just be a good person and to pile all these good things up on a scale so that way as long as the good outweighs the bad, I'm fine. And listen, that's the default mode of the human heart. Listen, Listen, you're okay. 
I'm okay. Dang it, just God just loves me. It's got to be true because, well, let's think about that. The alternative to God being holy and me not, that's terrifying because that means I'm going to be destroyed. So I would say that every person believes in justification. The question comes, justification by what? Every person believes that we're made right before God. The question is, is what are we made right by? Is it by our works or is it by something else or someone else? So he says three times, not justified by works of the law. What does that mean, works of the law? I mean, is it just doing things, works of the law? Is it possible for someone to be justified by works of the law? Well, three times in this verse, Paul says, no, 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 no. So what does that mean? I would say works of the law is like, it's like karma. You, you get what you deserve. Bad things happen to bad people. And good things happen to good people. So be confident that if you do good things, good things will happen to you. And if that's the way it is, if, if that's the way life is, then there's something very wrong with that system. That system is broken. Because I think if we think through, we know good people. We know 20-year-old good people who have died before their parents. And we know horrific people who've lived on and on and on and are wealthy and are successful. It can't be that. Well, maybe it's a Christian view of that. If I work hard enough, if I keep the Ten Commandments, then God has to reward me. And if, if I love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind and with all my strength, has anyone ever done that? <laughs> a few weeks ago, Peter World spoke extensively about that. Let me, let me read to you Psalm 15. This is, uh, yeah, Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who's in heaven? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Listen, if that passage brings you great comfort, <laughs> you have no idea what you just read. <laughs> Do you qualify? Have you achieved that? Why do we want works of the law to be true? Why is every religious system in the world outside of Christianity based on that idea? 
You can work your way to heaven. See, maybe it's because we don't want to share the glory. Maybe it's because we want to feel like we're in control. This is my life. I am the boss. I am my own savior. I don't need anybody. I don't need, I don't need you, God. I don't need a, your son to die for me. I'm not that bad of a person. See, we don't want someone else saying that you're not good enough. But I am good enough. I'm not as bad as him. So Paul wants to pound it into our heads. Justification through works doesn't work. And he says, hey, listen, we know this. Peter, you know that. It doesn't matter that we're Jews. It doesn't matter that they're Gentiles. Not a single person gets out from under this. Not a single person can stand before God justified by works. Just why Paul will say over in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through works. No, through faith. It's not your doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. You know why? Because if you could work your way to do it, you would, and you would boast about it. Over in Romans chapter 4, he says, he says it this way. The one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Like, you go to work, you punch a clock, and you expect a paycheck. That's what you're owed because you've worked for it. It says in verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He believes in him, and it's counted. It's a gift. So now he says, verse 16, we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed. See, he uses his own experience. He uses Peter's experience. He says, hey, our testimonies say this. We believed. Peter, this is true about you, and this is true about me, that this is how I'm saved. I believed in Christ Jesus. I'm not saved by works of the law. I'm saved by believing in him. Remember those accolades I described to you a moment ago in Philippians 3 about how he was a Hebrew and all these things? Look at the very next verse. Like he says all those things. I was blameless, but whatever I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul says, no, it's not by works. It can only be through faith in Jesus Christ. All that stuff doesn't count. I, it's rubbish. It's dung. It's, it's, it's vile. See, we also believe. And I looked at the phrase, we also have believed in Christ Jesus. And the, the little preposition in can also be translated into. In the sense of we fully trust in. It, let me put it this way. We also believed into Christ Jesus is not just an agreement. It's not just saying, sure, that's the way he did it. Okay, I agree. No, it's what the song says, I wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
that this is crucial. Because if I go out into the street and I just ask someone, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Massive amounts of people are going to say yes. But I will tell you that those massive amounts of people are not Christians. See, they believe in Jesus the same way you believe that George Washington is the first president of the United States. Right? I mean, he's the first president, right? I did get my, num- my word right. But does that knowledge make any difference in how you live? Like, when you get up in the, and you're getting ready for work, you're brushing your teeth, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, George Washington, first president of the United States. Like, does that affect you? Like, George, why, that changed my life. George Washington, first president. No, it's not just believing about what he did. Believing into Christ Jesus is, is, is like believing in gravity. Gravity affects how you live. You don't believe me? Climb up off the roof and just jump. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. Why? Because you believe in gravity. <laughs> and you believe that the ground is going to come up to meet you very quickly. See, it impacts how you live. It's not just simply saying, I believe. But it's putting your trust, your faith, your life completely in Christ Jesus. So that you can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, Paul or or Peter, we believed in Christ Jesus. Why? In order, keep reading, in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by what we were. Because what we were, the works of the law, no one will be justified. Finally, a universal truth. Universal truth. And I ask the question, how many times? How many times does he have to say it? Because, well, I'm a parent of little kids. I'm not a parent of them. I am a parent. (laughs) Yeah, of little kids. And sometimes I feel like I repeat myself so much that I don't remember what I was saying. Get down, get down, get down, get down, get down, get down, get down. Wait, why is it wrong that he's standing on that? No, 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 you know, right? We make it louder each time. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, like, you know, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Like, we feel like we're dumb. Why do I have to say it so many times? It's because they're not listening, right? So we say it over and over and over. Paul says, you can't be justified by works of the law. You can't be justified by works of the law. You can't be justified. He just keeps saying it. He wants to make sure that every person who reads this letter knows no one can be justified. Paul, can anybody be justified? Part of the, the teenage boy of me wants to say, hey, Paul, can anyone be justified by works of the law? Like after he reads this. And then Paul gives him the look. No, 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 no. There's no other way. Turn back, if you will, to Romans 3. Romans 3. 
Verse 9. In light of everything we just said, follow along as I read. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For if we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes, notice, knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Well, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You're never going to get there by works of the law. So, how do you know that you're righteous before God? There was a time, centuries ago, when the church, some, some churches still do, where they would, what would be called, catechize people. If you grew up in the Catholic church, you probably have heard the word catechisms before, and you're like, Aah! you know. That there were these, these theological things called catechisms. Here's a different one. This is not a Roman Catholic one. This is a different one. This one's called the Heidelberg Catechism. You may have heard of that before? The Heidelberg Catechism. It's kind of a question-answer. The question is, how are you righteous before God? And the answer in that catechism, if you don't know what a catechism is, it was a way to train young people how to respond to questions, how to, how to have foundational things in their life. And so the question was, how are you righteous before God? The answer is, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, I've never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes, puts on me 
the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had or committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Christian, some of you struggle with, with the assurance of your salvation. And I would say, maybe it's because you didn't learn something like that. Like, like, listen, you should look this up and print it off and put it on your mirror and read it every morning and come back to it every single day. How do I know I'm righteous before God? Because I have faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by what I do. It's by what he did. There's a story that was told of a, a guy who purchased a, a Rolls Royce. And uh, he shipped it to Paris, which is where he lived. And then he was driving, and, and, and something happened to the car. And so he, he contacted the manufacturer over in England. I think it's in England where Rolls Royces are. He contacted them, and they, they sent a mechanic over to repair it. They like, literally sent the mechanic to Paris to repair the Rolls Royce. After it was repaired, the guy then waited patiently for the bill. He waited, and he waited. He wanted to settle up. Finally, he contacted them and he asked about it. And they sent back a letter. And the letter said this. We have no record of anything ever being wrong with your car. Listen. When you receive Christ, when you trust in Christ, in him alone, and you receive the forgiveness of sins, God looks at you and he looks down at you and you're like Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, I am dirty, I am dirty. And he looks at you and says, I have no record of anything ever having gone wrong in your life. See, I don't earn that. I don't, well, God, I'm a little cleaner than that person can't work my way up to that we're justified by faith okay but what happens when I sin does, does, when I sin does, does God just kind of ignore it does he kind of sweep it under the rug does he act like there's no sin no he knows you've sinned he knows that I've sinned and not one sin has ever been swept under the carpet. Every single one was paid for. And if you're a Christian, it's been put on Christ. And that's why you're justified. Because your penalty has been paid. That's why you're accepted before God. That's how an, old, an unholy person can stand before God. Why? Because Christ paid it for him. I hope that fills you with comfort. I hope that fills you with hope. Because see, some of you might look back and you think, I've done too much wrong. But I, you don't know what I was like before. Can you imagine? The God who knows all of that can look you in the eye and say with sincerity, I have no record of you doing anything wrong. Man, 
That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But wait. If salvation by faith alone in Christ Jesus, if that's true, then what does that do with how we behave? Doesn't that kind of undermine the way we obey? We'll answer that next week. Let's pray. Our Father, we can call you that because you loved us. You loved us when we don't deserve it. And God, you have sent your Son 2,000 years ago at that moment of history when you had designed that to happen so that one day, the year 2020, that I could look back on that event and say, my God, you have saved me. I don't deserve it. I never will. God, I've messed up so much. But what a beautiful understanding that it's not by what I did, but it's by what you did. God, I pray today that we would be encouraged by these words. And yes, Lord, that it would change us. And so that when we would live, as we will study in the future, as Christians, that it's not out of, out of because we have to, it's because we want to. Because of what we have been given. God, if there's someone here who's relying on their, their works, God, I pray that today they would let that go. That they would see that there's nothing they could do to earn merit with you. God, help them to see the truth. And for those of us who have perhaps been Christians for decades, God, I pray that we would be reminded of this and that we would be filled with hope, filled with confidence, knowing, as the verse says, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for, for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for his resurrection. The promise that we too will spend eternity with you. We pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen.